Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence at cmlibrary.org. Welcome to Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to the written words. We're a proud member of the Queen City Podcast Network and the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, a series of author-hosted podcasts uh, distributing literary content to a worldwide audience. I'm your host, Landis Wade, a recovering trial lawyer turned author turned podcaster of books and stories, and I really appreciate you being here. Very quickly, before we get to the uninterrupted interview today, a few quick words about some of the benefits uh, for our listeners. Number one, we have show notes uh, for every episode uh, with images, links, and information about our authors at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Number two, if you're into audiobooks, uh, we have a relationship with Libro.fm, which supports indie bookstores. You sign up with Libro to get your audiobooks and use the promo code CHARLOTTEREADER. We'll get an extra audiobook free. Number three, if you go to charlottereaderspodcast.com or my personal website, landisway.com, and you sign up for the book report, you're going to get it every other Tuesday. And here's what you'll get. Recommended readings, author interviews and videos, reading and writing tips, doses of inspiration, a free ebook by yours truly, and more. We won't spam you. That takes way too much time. And finally, we've got a lot of great content we put out on our exclusive Patreon channel. If you like what we do here, uh, that is our mission of helping authors give voice to their written words, and you'd like to help us uh, defray the costs of this project, you can jump over to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast, and you can tap into all the great extra content we've got that's curated by our authors and me about uh, their writing lives and the craft and business of writing and other things too. But enough of the prologue. Let's get to the uninterrupted story of our guest and the one they've written. In today's episode, we visit with Dorianne Dupre, author of Good Buddy, a tender tale of love and family that asks the question, what really makes a father? Good Buddy is the 2019 Reader's Favorite International Book Award winner. It's a story about family, secrets, loss, life, and the special bonds we have with our fathers, stepfathers, and surrogate fathers. This story was written for in an eternal memory of Dory's husband, who was himself a good buddy. Scott Thompson, author of Eight Days, says this is a touching story about love and what makes a real family. It's a story about doing the right thing, healing, and second chances. It's a story about life. Dory, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Landis, for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and congratulations on the book, Good Buddy. is also your previous award-winning novel, Scout's Honor. Yes, thank you. Your reader's favorite award mentions the flaws in the characters and their vulnerability because of losses they've suffered. And before we talk about uh, the story and the characters here in Good Buddy, uh, I'd like to focus just a little bit on the themes there, starting first with loss. Would you mind sharing a little bit about uh, your personal story of loss and how it affected, you know, your connection to this particular story? Sure. Um, I had written uh, my first novel in 20, well, I had a book deal in 2016, was coming out in April of 2016, Scout's Honor. And about 60 days before the book release, my husband 
uh, was diagnosed with terminal colon cancer out of left field. Um, and this is, I'm sure you've heard on the news, the young actor who died uh, from Black Panther, Chadwick Boseman, who also died from this disease. Um, and this is what happened to my husband. And so I was kind of thrown into a situation where my children were off in college and my husband and I were just going to be able to start our empty nest. And um, I was putting out my book. That was a very exciting thing for me. And our world was turned upside down. And so while I was going through the book release of Scout's Honor and trying to get that book out there, um, I had already started my second novel, Good Buddy. And I wrote that, I started writing that for my husband because when I was a very young woman, I had an infant daughter and my husband dated me with an infant daughter and he certainly didn't have to do that. He was a young free man on his own and um, he could have gone out with any number of women who did not have that kind of responsibility. And so he raised my daughter um, as, as if she was his own. And um, I've always appreciated uh, that tremendous sacrifice that he made, although he didn't really think of it much of a sacrifice, I'm sure. But I started writing a book about a man who does that for another little girl. And then when he got his diagnosis um, and things were not going well at all, my husband died nine months after his diagnosis. I knew that I had to finish it for him. Uh, he knew I was writing it. And uh, so I, the book started out with one purpose and then it kind of took on a different life. And um, a lot of the things that are touched on in the book are actually uh, kind of retellings of some stories within my own family. It was a way to memorialize him, a way to memorialize our family that we built together. And I'm, I was able to finish it before he died and he was able to read it. Um, but I didn't even realize when I was making my one of my characters, Julie, uh, she was a young widow. I didn't realize that I was actually writing little pieces of my own story in that. And so the losses that I suffered with what we were going through and then after my husband died and what I went through um, are definitely reflected in the story. So, Dory, thank you for that, uh, for sharing that. Um, as I'm looking at the, the book cover itself and the title, Good Buddy, um, the name, it sounds like uh, you thought of your husband, Eric, as a, as a good buddy. Was that a nickname or was it something that uh, just came to you and you thought, you know, it, it, it sort of went along with him, too? Well, um, I actually, he hated that I named the character <laughs> Buddy. <laughs> Okay, yeah. get that right out of the way, right? <laughs> but I wanted my, you know, I kind of have a theme with my book titles, and right. uh, I like the 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 title to be um, part of the story, but also the name of the character. Like it, it tells a little bit more. Um, so I mean, I think that that I think all dads are a buddy um, yeah. in some respect, and. Um, you know, and especially when a man is trying to, in, in this story, when a man is trying to forge a relationship with a child, uh, I think that that's a lot of times what they try to be is a buddy to the child. And that's definitely what I try to convey in the story. So it sounds like, you know, you've got some of your personal background and experience that, uh, you know, had an impact on, on, on what you were writing here, because as you said, you, you know, had a, a child when you were young and then you dated 
um, and, and married your, your husband, Eric. And uh, oftentimes, you know, writers either consciously or subconsciously work some of their personal experiences in, into what they do. How much of this book uh, was that happening? How much was it your imagination just using that as a springboard to take it from there? Well, I'll, I think a lot of what writers use when they're writing um, is to work out things within their own life. I, I definitely subscribe to the Pat Conroy quote of writing is the only way that I was able to make what sense of my own life. Right. Um, or That's a paraphrase of his quote, but I definitely subscribe to that. Um, the book itself, I really wanted to memorialize a lot of my husband's characteristics. And so I put a lot of that into the character of Buddy. Um, you know, he's not exactly my husband, but there is a lot of things about Buddy that are very similar to him. Um, kind of what he looked like and like little nuances of him. Um, and then there are a lot of stories. I wrote the book in vignettes. Um, they're short vignettes in each chapter. And so some of the vignettes are very reflective of my own family or little stories and experiences that we had as a family raising our daughters. And uh, the character Molly herself is kind of a fusion of my daughters uh, who are very different people, but I tried to put both of them into one character. And so I would say that it's a lot of it is very similar to um, some of the things that I have gone through personally in my life and um, also little stories and um, memories that I wanted uh, kept. Uh, um, yeah, and we're going to talk about the sort of some of the characters in the plot a little bit here, but uh, I'm just curious, what are some of the similarities between your husband and the character Jonathan Buddy Cordova? Who appears in this book? <laughs> well, um, my husband was um, very awkward around women. <laughs> As he would say, he had absolutely no game. Um, and he, uh, well, come but on, he come, on very, come on, he got you, he got you to marry him, right? That's right. That's yeah. right. he had no game, but he got me. Um, but I, I found that endearing about him. Actually, um, I. There's, you know, a lot of women like to fall for the bad boy, but I, I kind of fell for the good guy. I mean, he was really a good man. He was a man of impeccable integrity. And, um, he, he was, um, you know, he, there were just little things about him that I personally found endearing, um, that he thought were flaws. And I think that, you know, pretty much everyone has uh, certain things about them that they uh, might be subconscious or not subconscious, um, not confident about, um, and he certainly had those kinds of things, but then he also had things that he was very confident about. Um, but, but he was just very shy around women. He, I don't think he realized how attractive he was. He was very good looking. Um, and he was a very intelligent, smart man, like Buddy was or is. Um, and I, I did some things a little bit differently. Like I, I didn't make my husband was a golfer. I did not make Buddy a golfer. Um, <laughs> My husband was not an attorney, uh, but um, but he was. But he was a professional in other ways, and so I tried to make some differences. Just so the listeners know, Jonathan Buddy Cordova is a small town criminal defense lawyer living paycheck to paycheck, practicing law out of his house in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and uh, likes to think of himself as sort of a modern day Atticus Finch, the kind of attorney who represents the poor, the indigent, 
the, I love this, the probably guilty. <laughs> the, the cats of clients who usually end up in jail. And then, but he, but this shyness, uh, you know, he, he has this attraction to this woman. He doesn't know her name. She's a daily jogger. She's running by him all the time. Um, and her name is Julie Saint. She's a part-time kindergarten teacher, army widow with a little girl named Molly. And you can see that, you know, they both got a past and you sort of bring us, you know, with their past and you bring them together. Um, and apart from that, I'm, I'm assuming, you know, you're, you aren't a kindergarten teacher and your daughter had named Molly, but uh, you have some other things, I guess you're talking about that were some similarities because you said you did this as kind of a, you know, a nod to your, to, to Eric. And I'm wondering, um, did he give you constructive feedback about the book? Honestly, he didn't give me much. I think that he at one point asked me if I could make Buddy not so pathetic about women. <laughs> um, I think that it was a little bit embarrassing for him to be outed that he's really awkward around women, but um, he didn't really give me much other, con you know, not constructive feedback on it. I think that he was just, quite frankly, he was not in any emotional state. Right. Um, confronting, he was only 47 and he was otherwise perfectly healthy. So to be basically told that you're going to die, um, I think that he was appreciative that I, I was writing something like this for him and just trying to finish it for him. But I don't think he really was in a frame of mind to give me real constructive feedback. Um, but he did. I mean, he, he did, he did give me that little tidbit. Can I not make him so pathetic? <laughs> Did you I didn't honor, think he was pathetic. So, <laughs> did you honor his request? Did you make uh, the lawyer in the book a little less pathetic? I don't think so. I think I kept him <laughs> as pathetic, but I think that women would get it. Like women would would find that endearing, not pathetic you. at all. So, yeah. <laughs> right. So, okay, I'm looking at the book cover. Good buddy. It's uh, we've got some trees. Uh, it looks like it might be late in the day. There are two people on a distant path walking together. Looks like one male, um, one female. Is that Buddy and Molly? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. What, are, what are we looking at here? The, the the relationship between stepfather and step stepdaughter. Yes, that's um, that is really the main intention of the story. Um, he's hiking with Molly. Um, kind of in the middle of the book, we learn that Buddy, because Buddy and Julie are married and they're going to have a new baby he decides to start taking Molly hiking as a way to maintain their one-on-one -on -one relationship. Even though a new baby is going to be coming into the family, um, he starts taking Molly hiking. And on that, uh, on the hikes, you know, they, they talk a lot and he reveals things about his past to Molly and their, their connection because both of them lost their fathers as very young children. And um, it's just a bonding moment between them. And so that's what the picture represents. Yeah, well, there are two, two sort of inciting incidents here. Um, one you're going to talk about in connection with the raid you're going to do in just a moment. The other is when uh, Buddy's walking his dog and eventually, finally, he, I guess, pathetically stumbles <laughs> <laughs> along into into her at the uh, at the local festival. And that's where he meets uh, Julie and, and her daughter Molly and, and then it goes kind of kind of goes from there but then they share this past and you, weave, you you do this thing where you weave the past of the two you know 
the characters together because we kind of go back and forth in time a little bit. Let's do a little read now as it relates to, to Buddy because early in the book, uh, you know, he's a young kid and he's in the back seat of a car uh, and he's waking up in the night as his mother's driving, driving, driving away from their home. Um, you got a little read here. How about setting that up for us? Tell us where we are at this point in the book and uh, and, and in Buddy's life, and then and then if you would read that for us. Sure. Um, my reading will be from the very beginning of the story, where, like you said, Buddy and his mother are driving uh, away. They're in um, they were in Texas, and now they have uh, kind of found themselves in a situation where they are in New Mexico on a border city that I've named Las Cuatro, um, which is a fake city. Um, and they have stumbled upon these, uh, an, uh, what's called the Underground Railroad, which is a system of Mexican, uh, a Mexican woman who helps Mexican, other Mexican women uh, coming over the border to find homes in the United States, and they're fleeing uh, their lives in Mexico with their children. And so Buddy and his mother, Retta, find themselves in Pilar Rodriguez's house in New Mexico. And Buddy is nine years old, and this scene takes place in 1975. Buddy shifted in his seat. He was tired and not quite sure he understood everything that was going on around him. This Pilar woman stunk of chicken grease, but she was being real nice to them and might help them find their way to a new place, somewhere far away from Kenny. We have a quiet system in place here in the Southwest, but it's usually to help Mexican women fleeing their homes and trying to find a better life in the States. We help women who are already here, too. I have a small place where I house some of them and their children until we can get them some papers and set up with jobs or a plan to go far away and start over. What are they fleeing? Retta asked, her gut already knowing the answer. Pilar grinned at her. I think the same thing as you. She leaned back in her chair, her doughy arms sinking on the armrest. My people suffer the same things as your people, only in a different language and culture. Mexico is violent and has more poverty than over on this side of the border. Both of those things together is a dangerous combination for a woman with no options. As you know, it's a man's world, but it's even more of a man's world in some parts of Mexico. Women are merely things to produce children, cook and clean, and suffer the whims of her man. And many of the men are not happy, so they take it out on their women. Some men are like Hector. They are kind and do the best they can, but many are not. The bruises on Retta's arms and forehead hurt, and she could feel the cut on her eye stinging at the mention of battered women. He wasn't always like this, she confessed to Pilar, her voice starting to crack. He was so nice to me at first. It was, later, something changed. Retta could feel the tears swell up in her eyes, her images of Kenny before the alcohol took a hold of him like an anchor around his neck, before the night terrors tormented him throughout his waking days and sleepless nights, before he lost his job because his co-workers complained about his inability to control his temper, before he became obsessed with finding someone named Han. You don't have to tell me about it, miss. 
It was bad enough that you needed to run away and sell your car to Hector. He was a mean son of a bitch, and I'm glad he's gone, Buddy stated flatly. Retta's head jerked toward him. Buddy, you keep quiet. Buddy sat back into the couch, his body sinking deep into the cushion. Retta wanted to ask him what he remembered, but she was so scared of what Pilar would think now that he blurted that out loud about Kenny. You are both welcome to stay in the place that I have for my women. I have people who help me get papers and will help you get new papers if you want. I can get you set up with a job around here and help put the boy in school, or he can stay out of school for a while until you're settled somewhere. Is there no one who can help you? Retta, with her head down, nodded gently. We have nowhere to go. We have no family left. It was a lie, but it was a good lie. Yeah, so Buddy starts out his life... um in difficult circumstances, he makes it uh, to become a lawyer. Uh, tell us uh, about the other characters here, uh, Julie and Molly. Well, Julie is um, a, a young army widow. She, uh, her husband, uh, they're stationed at Fort Bragg, and they live in Fayetteville. And uh, Buddy is practicing law at a Fayetteville, so that's how he sees Julie every day running. Uh, Molly is, when he meets them, Molly is six years old, little first grader. Um, and their, her husband, Gabe, died. He was an enlisted soldier. He was, uh, he died in an airborne accident. Um, and this takes place not during wartime. So it's more of a peacetime time period in the late nineties, uh, in, in Fort Bragg. And so she's just, she's from originally from Texas, like Buddy. And uh, Molly is a little bit of an odd girl. She likes to bounce a lot. Um, and her husband's been dead for about 18 months. But she's only 28, so she's still a very young uh, young mother and uh, navigating the terrain of young widowhood. Um, she also is very independent. She has a strained, strange relationship with her parents. Um, so... That also adds some flavor to her dynamic. There's a quote in the book. Um, How can she possibly be an orphan when she has a dad? Sure, her real father, whatever that meant, has been gone for half of her life. He loved her and she loved him, but he died and was never coming back. Buddy was now her dad. He became her dad when her mom married him and made it all official. So Molly's struggling a little bit with this idea at first, maybe, and then has to develop a relationship. Well, she is struggling with the concept of how she has a dad who's dead, and now she has another dad. Um, and again, she's a very young girl. So um, I'm sure when you're a young child, um, you are, you know, life is confusing enough as a child, but you're wide open to learning things. And when you know uh, one thing, and then you're presented with a new thing, um, it's, I'm sure, quite a leap for children to try to figure out what all of that means. Um, I think when that quote is going on, Molly's a little bit older, uh, and she's trying to um, she's trying to come to terms with um, how a child might deal with uh, having a father who's dead and still having that relationship with that father, and then having a new father who is just as important and in the present moment, and what that means for her. 
And you dealt with a lot of issues, uh, found family, parental death, fathers, biological step, surrogate, child custody, romantic and familial love, domestic abuse. That's a lot packed into one book. Um, but there's kind of, there's, if there was a thread running through all that, what do you see as the thread that kind of, uh, keeps the story, you know, moving forward through all these different obstacles that exist? I think that it's, that it's love. Um, I think that love is the thread that, uh, cause life is hard and life is hard for everybody. And, you know, Kenny, who is the, um, whose buddy stepfather, who, um, is a character early in the book who, um, is abusive toward his wife. He's a Vietnam veteran and there's a reason why he's abusive. There's a reason why he turns to alcohol. And a lot of times we just judge people about their actions, which are horrible actions. But sometimes we, what we need to do, um, is have more of an empathetic view toward them and step back and think, why is this person behaving this way? Um, you know, because you can all, I try to offer in the story, uh, lots of love that Kenny offers. Uh, and, and so, you know, even in, in the difficult relationship that Julie has with her estranged parents, I tried to offer that there's love there. It's just very difficult. And, um, you know, we're, sometimes we're presented with challenges that are, seem insurmountable. Um, I think that if we did more of looking at people as human beings who are flawed with challenges, and instead of looking at them from a place of judgment, we can look at them from a place of love. And, um, and that's ultimately what helps us through all of the hardships that we face. Yeah, well, it's a wonderful story and a wonderful tribute to your um, husband. Um, let's talk writing life just a second. You're, a, I like this, Amazon number one best-selling and two-time award-winning author of these two novels. Uh, you've written a number of published short stories as well. Uh, you're a veteran of the U.S. Army. You work in the legal field. We uh, Maybe that's where you get this idea to make him a lawyer in the book. Uh, and we've already talked about you working on your master's, so you got a lot going on. You're the mother of two young adult uh, daughters and you say two wiener dogs i guess you've got uh what are those long dogs is that what those are yes dachshunds yeah <laughs> the dachshunds. Okay. And slinky. <laughs> <laughs> okay i love the names all right so w- one of the questions i want to write you know i talked to authors about writing process there's enough for authors to think about when they're writing uh, a book uh with just the normal everyday life but you wrote this book after your husband had gotten this terrible diagnosis and I'm just wondering how you did that during that period of time. What was driving you? Um, what helped you do that? Uh, how, how did you do it? Well, I think that for me, and I think that this probably works for a lot of writers, is that writing is a um, it's an outlet, much like exercise can be an outlet for people. Writing for me was an outlet during that time period. Um, especially it gave me something to focus on other than, uh, cancer and chemotherapy treatments and people dying that I didn't, that we couldn't believe was dying, um, trying to help him through his emotional, uh, turmoil. The writing of the book gave me something to focus on that was positive and kept me grounded in the middle of my own crisis. Um, I think that. It also helped me in writing some things out about my own feelings about it that I didn't feel comfortable even sharing with my husband because he didn't need my 
<laughs> he didn't my, need my my additional emotional burdens at that time. And so it gave me an outlet to be able to write these things out myself. Um, so that's really the purpose that it served. What motivated me, though, was just that I knew that I needed to finish it for him. And so that was a main motivating factor where when I would sit down to write and I felt like quitting, I just, you know, I would say, no, I need to write. And whatever came out, came out. Mm. And so that's that's how I did that. You said earlier in the show that uh, that you, like Pat Conroy, you know, figure things out by writing. I do the same thing sometimes. What did you figure out about yourself um, or about the world around you in writing this book? Well, I think that I... I figured out, but it's, I think it's just because of my age that there there, there are things I already know. Um, but writing maybe puts it more into context or more, um, better able to articulate what I already think. Um, and I think just the value and just how much love really does ground you, how relevant that, that part of it is. You get, it's so easy to get bogged down in your daily lives. Uh, with running children here and there and trying to get kids into college or just working and trying to make ends meet, that the relationships that we have with people, whether they are challenged relationships or intimate relationships, um, they really are what makes life worth, worth it and what makes gives life purpose and the richness. And when you when I was writing this book and I started piecing together various relationships within my own life that um, that are good or unresolved things that I have from my own past. Uh, my father died young, or when I was young. My father was young, too. Um, and so I think that that also helped me resolve some of my own grief about my own father and, and the loss of him. And I, as I as I'm four years out now from my husband being gone, and I watch my own young daughters and deal with his death. And I watch how they deal with their grief. And I'm sure that those things that I've observed will find their way into a book someday. Um, but that's that's what that that's basically the great lesson of writing this particular book. Yeah, and good books like this one is also help people figure things out by reading them, particularly if they can connect with uh, lovable and likable characters of the type that you put uh, in this book. What do you hope people uh, who read this book will take away from it? I just hope that they will take away from it that um, this book was written as an ode to stepfathers and to fatherhood in general. Um, I really wanted this book to talk about and highlight the kinds of men who are out there who are really good fathers. I think that in women's literary fiction in particular, we kind of get bogged down in the mother story and mothers, 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 and how hard it is for women. And those stories need to be told. But I do think that fatherhood is um, a really good fatherhood. And the kinds of men who quietly go about doing that task, um, that that needs to be highlighted more. And these men need to be um they need to be highlighted for all that they've done for children, that they're a value to society. Um, men who are stepfathers, I think that sometimes 
in stepfather cases, it's kind of an unnatural role for a man to take on. I think it's a little bit more natural for a woman to take on a stepchild. And so men who are willing to forego their biology in a lot of cases um, and, 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 and able to navigate that emotionally and truly love a child and raise it, uh, that is a very special thing. And they add so much value to society. I don't think they get enough credit for it. Yeah, nice that you released this book on Father's Day um, in honor of Eric. And also, since his death, you told me that you've donated proceeds from this book to UNC Lineberger Cancer Hospital's colon cancer research effort uh, and uh, other uh, programs as well that uh, you know, are, are nonprofit uh, and that assist women um, and people who are processing grief. So uh, well done with that. Um, Listeners, we're going to actually, in just a second here, we're going to jump over to our Patreon channel um, and do an episode. And you can join us, too, if you want to. Just uh, go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, forward slash Charlotte Rears Podcast, or check us out on uh, the podcast website. We've got a Patreon page there. Uh, nominal monthly membership. We do some extra content for our uh, listener supporters so that uh, we you can help me help authors give voice to the written words. And... Dory has agreed to talk with me about an interesting topic. It's uh, writing as a tool to deal with grief. And we're probably going to throw in some marketing discussion and maybe some audiobook discussion too. So check that out at our Patreon page. So Dory, this has been a wonderful episode, wonderful book. I want to thank you for spending time with uh, us and the listeners of Charlotte Rivers Podcast. Thank you so much, Landis. It was an honor to be here. And I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. You can subscribe to this podcast for free at Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and most any podcast platform you'd like to listen to your podcast on. If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a short written review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Because when you do, our authors' voices travel much farther and wider in podcast land. And if you're inclined to help us help authors give voice to the written words, and you'd like some member-only content cultivated by our authors and me as our thanks, please consider becoming a member supporter. You can find out how to become a member supporter and more about today's show and all previous episodes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com.